This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. If you want your kids to stay standing, keep them away from Chris Carlin. This is <laughs> Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornette sitting in for the guys on this Wednesday afternoon, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. And judging by the Celtics' body language, they look like they got bulldozed themselves on Tuesday night. You would have thought it was a regular season game in late January, judging by how they looked out there. An uninspired performance, Jordan, by Boston in the biggest game of the season. Leaves them now in a 3-2 hole in the Eastern Conference semifinals. A 115-103 win for the Philadelphia 76ers. A lot at stake here for Boston as this thing ends up going to a game six with Philly. A healthy Philly finally on the verge of closing this thing out. Yeah, and and I'm going to lean first with Philly because in these shows, in these recaps, it really draws my ire sometimes, Courtney, when people lead with, uh, oh, the the two seed, the Celtics, uh, what's going wrong with them? Or the question being posed, was this a, a, a bad loss from the Celtics or was this a good win from Philly? I want to talk about the winning team. I mean, this was Philly's most complete game that we've seen in these playoffs by far, but I would even say the last few seasons, there's a resiliency in this group. Coming off of that that Game 4 win, propelling them into this Game 5 performance, I'm really taken aback by what I'm seeing from this group, but I think it's adding tough-minded pieces like P.J. Tucker who are never going to score a lot of points, heck, aren't even going to take a lot of shots, but are locking down Jalen Brown and bring it a toughness both physically and mentally. And how does that bleed over? Well, Joel Embiid looks like an MVP in whom they played through. Tyrese Maxey, credit the adjustment of Doc Rivers to say, hey, let's put him on the ball as a creator at times uh, along with Harden. And he shined in this game. James Harden is clearly comfortable in whatever roles being asked of him with this group. And all the auxiliary pieces stepped up and made plays. Tobias Harris was great. Daniel House in the rotation for the first time, really, in 15 minutes gives him 10 points. Everything you needed from Philly, Courtney, you got in this offering. And they are now in control of the series, having won the last two. They shot 40% from the three-point line. Tyrese Maxey going 6 of 12 from deep. He was an X-factor last night, and I know you were hot on him. For him to show up in this moment on the cusp of what could potentially happen this offseason for himself with a contract extension, is he a max-level player, is he not? That's a conversation that kind of feels like a tertiary part of the overall conversation of this series. But, man, the contributions from Tyrese Maxey, the contributions again from James Harden. Jordan, we didn't have that fall-off that we saw from games one and two to then game three and then James Harden bouncing back. It feels like he's changing the perception around himself as a player in the postseason. It was ten it, uh, for him to have 10 assists last night, 17 points, and eight boards as well. That Those contributions, coupled with what they got from Joel Embiid, who is not healthy, not healthy by any stretch mm-hmm. with the knee, wearing the brace, and I'm sure he's in a lot of pain, whether he's going to publicly admit that or not. But that was the MVP version of Joel Embiid and the contributions elsewhere to run the offense through their star center is exactly what they needed on a night to, to frankly stifle what Boston was attempting to do. Yeah, and Boston's stuck in a really tough spot. If you play two bigs, 
you, you don't really expose Embiid and make him have to come out there as a defender and, and kind of expose him, removing him there. They, they, they can't really do that because they're getting eaten up. These drop coverages that they're playing with the Harden and Embiid pick and roll, uh, this is one of those adjustments. And I know we'll get to this with Joe Mazzulla, but this is another place where you say a more seasoned coach in the playoffs probably makes an adjustment. This drop coverage is allowing Harden to get to whatever spot he wants, and we've seen those 40-plus games. Embiid had an explosive one here. He's getting to whatever spot he wants. There's got to be at some point where you just say, hey, maybe we play Tatum Brown and Grant Williams as our as our front court and try and hurt them again with what seems to be the only way for a Celtics team is – you got to knock down shots, and I hate that this is what they've kind of been confined to, Courtney, but it really feels like, hey, is a three ball going for us? We're a driving kick team. Are those drives leading to kickouts and knockdown shots? Then great, we're ready to win. If not, we don't have the ability to drive in that paint, not with an interior defender like Embiid out there, to get what we want. I mean, they had nothing at the rim yesterday, mm-hmm. coupled with they had nothing from the three ball going, and that's the kind of result that you're going to get. Joe Mazzula, the first-year head coach for the Boston Celtics. The conversation, has he been outcoached by Doc Rivers, somebody who has been in this spot before, a veteran coach in a lot of respects? That's something that we will get to here on Canyon Carlin, but I want to hear from Joe Mazzula, the Celtics head coach, on his perception of how his team looked in Game 5. You know, that was the first game of the playoffs that we didn't play well, in my opinion. And so we can't lose our perspective of we played really good basketball. And that was our first really, really bad game of the playoffs. And so it doesn't come at necessarily the best time, but we just have to shift our perspective and get ready for the next game. My problem with that is that it's that's not the case. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is a team that plays down to its competition. Let's go back to game five in the first round, Jordan, when DeJounte Murray's not playing for the Hawks and Atlanta's allowed to still – keeps itself alive for another day. Going back to game one of this series without Joel Embiid, they allow F- uh, F- Philadelphia to put up 119 points. This is not the first bad game of the playoffs for Boston. It's a culmination of an entire series where every time they've played down to their competition, they've been able to bounce back, but now they're on the ropes in a 3-2 hole in the Eastern Conference semifinals and a team that frankly looks discombobulated from end to end. So, Courtney, go on and say it. You know what you want to say. You know what it's what every listener's probably thinking, what's been talked about a ton. Go on and say Missoula's not ready for the moment right now because that's clearly – what you feel, and I go ahead and co-sign to a degree with that same belief. Is that I don't want to speak for you. No, no, you you're right. I just I think it's a lazy argument, and that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation. I don't want to just say that the X's and O's matchup is something he's not prepared for. Very clearly, the Celtics promoted him into this position out of need, but also because they saw something within him at 34 years old that he could take the reins of this team and lead them to where they are right now. But he's on the verge, if he hasn't already, of losing control of this team. And you go back to game four and not calling the timeouts there in overtime to set up the final possession. Him admitting to that, and then last night... It felt like the chess match between head coach and head coach. Where are the adjustments? And I don't, I just, I find it lazy just to like heap it all onto the head coach when there's issues with Jalen Brown, not being aggressive, some boneheaded plays, fouling the three-point shooter. And then elsewhere, this offense, as Marcus Smart so eloquently described it the other day, feels random. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement, Jordan. Uh, and you know, I, and I was hesitant to go here 
But, Courtney, as we were talking in our pre-show meeting, and I said, you know, it, it does feel lazy. I'm glad you threw that out there. But when you kind of start to follow the breadcrumbs, sometimes certain things are just fact. And let me give the caveat before I dive into it here with Joe Missoula. guy's 34 years old. He was not supposed to be in this position. Does it mean he's not deserving? Does it mean he's not deserving? Absolutely not. It just means he was thrust into the moment at 34 years old because of some things that cratered that we don't even fully know that happened with Ime Udoka, but we know it ended up with him being ousted. Now you've got a 34-year-old coach coaching one of the most historically high-achieving franchises in all of sports, just littered with success over decades and decades, It's a freaking Boston Celtics. Now this guy's thrust in there, and sure, they finished second in the East. Sure, they won 57 games. But we know that the regular season is not the playoffs. It's an entirely different beast. And when you've got guys like Marcus Smart defending their coach out of one side of his mouth, uh, being loyal, but then another saying, it's not that we're not sticking with stuff. We're just playing against a really good team, he said post-game, after Game 5. And it's all about adjustments. They, meaning the Sixers, are doing a really good job of adjusting. We are not. Hey, look, Marcus, if you say that, everybody's going to look at the head coach. And maybe this is not fair to say he's not ready for the moment, but is it? Guy's first time in it. We say it about athletes, superstar athletes, when they get to the postseason the first time and it doesn't result in where we thought they should go. We say, oh, that athlete, it's their first time. They're going to learn. They're going to grow. They're going to be better from this. And I do think that from Joe Mazzulla. But the breadcrumbs are this. You talked about that first series. Let's talk about this one. You mentioned game one. Well, in game one, one guy beat him, James Harden. There was no adjustment to take that away. That hurts. Game four, you come clawing back in that game only to go and abandon defensively James Harden from the baseline who knocks down a three. Then you watch a final possession go awry, and you sit there with your hands in your pockets. You don't make the proper decision as a head coach there because maybe you're not used to being in that moment. Much like any player, you're a coach who hasn't been here before. It's a lot. You learn from it. He's taken those lumps, and then game five, Courtney. For game five to play out like that, uninspired, a lack of focus. You may mention it felt like a regular season game. This is a coach who is being schooled right now, will be better for it, but you have to say Missoula is a part of why the Celtics aren't where they need to be. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. What do you make of the chess match between Joe Missoula and Doc Rivers? Is Missoula, in fact, being outcoached? We're taking your calls here on Canty and Carlin, Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornette, sitting in for the guys. Let's go back to game one because you brought up what Doc Rivers did with James Harden, using him in a throwback role. The isolation opportunities, was that was a pivotal part of that game plan. And the Celtics did not adjust to that for 45 minutes and for, for the majority of that game. And then, of course, the overtime game in Game 4 when you allow James Harden again – catch-and-shoot catch and threes, that's not necessarily a part of his game. That's something he's really had to work on. And you leave the shooter open in the corner, you don't adjust. Joe Mazzulla, though, had to figure that this conversation was going to happen. He's the youngest coach remaining in the postseason, the youngest co- head coach, period, in the NBA at 34 years old. And I felt like there were moments in some of the media availability this week and last week where he got defensive about it when he was being questioned going against Doc Rivers in this series that he might not have the edge. You have to come to expect that, that that's going to be part of the overall conversation when your team shows up and doesn't show up, Jordan, in ways that they did not in Game 5. 
And I don't. I didn't mind that, even though this is where we are now, because that's what I've been told is in his DNA, and that's what's got him to be the guy to replace Udoka when they were all aligned and said, not only is he our guy, but he finished second in the Eastern Conference, won 57 games, and they've extended him on because there's a belief, and it's driven by his competitive fire. Uh, we cover these these athletes. We cover these coaches. We know that the chip on the shoulder propels them. So it's not necessarily that issue. But then upon that, if you do have that confidence, I'm not going to compare this to a Dylan Brooks situation. It's not that. But you've got to continually deliver or the chatter is going to get a little bit louder. And it does not help that he's going against a coach who's achieved a lot, who's been a world champion. Yes, I understand Doc Rivers only has a 500 postseason record and has underachieved more than he's achieved in the postseason, but Doc Rivers understands the game. And right now, he it is fair to say, Courtney, that he's coaching circles around a younger guy who's just starting. But that's what you'd expect. Doc Rivers has a Hall of Fame coaching mm-hmm. career. I mean, this is a guy who is just pulling the right strings at the right moment and why one guy is maybe losing, people are losing confidence in, we are starting to gain a further belief in, oh, yeah, this is that Doc Rivers that deserves the flowers. I mean, using Daniel House, putting him into that rotation we spoke about, being the ninth guy, providing great minutes and length on the perimeter. I think where they've used Embiid at times to avoid those standard doubles where Boston likes to keep you guessing, it seems like Philly's one step ahead of it, being sped up, using Tyrese Maxey on the ball as a creator to really get him ju- his juices flowing. All these things are strings that Doc Rivers is pulling, and it's working. So now you're watching not only the young guy get called out in Missoula, you're watching Doc Rivers start to remind people that, hey, not just me, but these Sixers, Joel Embiid, James Harden. It feels like a redemption tour in this round all of a sudden. There's still a lot of basketball to be played in this postseason, but we're watching guys start to remind everybody, hey, that's not the narrative. This is who we are, and it's working for the Sixers. Well, taking it a step further, it's more than just bad outside shooting for the Celtics. There were a lot of really dumb fouls. There was Jason Tatum taking too much time to get going. And then at the center of all of that, when it comes to Joe Missoula and whether he's getting outcoached or not, it looks like the locker room, the players that he currently has at his disposal, this isn't the same makeup of the team that made it to the NBA Finals last year. And Jay Williams, host of Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max, 6 to 10 a.m., Monday through Friday on ESPN Radio, had this to say about Joe Missoula and the locker room. I really feel like Joe Missoula has lost the locker room. It feels like Joe Missoula is in over his head. And I'm going to tell you something. What have we seen throughout the course of these playoffs that we talk about daily? We talk about your Lakers. We talk about the Golden State Warriors. That chess match that we see between Darvin Ham and Steve Kerr. Okay, like let me change up strategies. You're seeing counter after counter after counter. Where's the counters with Joe Missoula? Where is it, Jordan? Yeah, and it's. Do you really do you do you give credence to what Jay was saying there that he's lost the locker room? I don't think he's lost the locker room. I just don't think you have those dominant personalities to maybe make us feel because they're outspoken and how they present themselves that everything is cool. Tatum's a superstar, but he's not an outspoken leader. Jalen Brown is a superstar, but he's not an outspoken leader. It's only one guy truly out there, even Al Horford. I mean, this guy is is an elder statesman in the league. Heck, he's almost 40, but he's not necessarily the most outspoken. It's Marcus Smart, and Marcus Smart is defending him. But, yeah, you're not getting it from anybody else, but that's also not in those guys' DNA. So I think we're guessing to think maybe the locker room's lost. I think there's a frustration because this is a Celtics team 
that expected to have Ime Udoka on the sidelines and was going to right their wrong from an NBA Finals that didn't go their way a year ago. And it's been a year of turmoil. No matter how anybody wants to, wants to talk about this, yes, they have won 57 games. They did finish second in the Eastern Conference. But I can't say this enough, what we all know. Playoffs are different. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters. People don't remember how many games you won in a regular season – they remember if you got to the NBA Finals, or at least a conference finals. And even that would be a step back for the Celtics. So I don't know because I don't think they have those guys, and that might be part of the problem too, quite honestly, Courtney, is they don't have the fighters to fight for their coach, to fight in the face of resiliency here, to try and get this thing back on track. And that's why it feels like this series might be over. Unless, and I'm curious, Courtney, how you feel, this happened last year. Yep, They were in this position in the second round versus uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. They had lost and had to go to Game 6 to Milwaukee to even a series up. They got back to Boston in Game 7, and they won those two and got to the NBA Finals. Do you have that belief they can do it this time? I mean, if you look at the aspect of history being on their side, going you know into Game 6 with a you know facing road elimination like they did last year, who I'm, re- who I'm looking to in that moment is Jason Tatum. He scored 46 points that night in Milwaukee. So... If he can do that again, feels like he's having to carry the load of maybe, and it's maybe a load that he's not quite equipped to handle on his own because there have been moments where Jalen Brown feels like he's MIA. And I look at him last night, some of the boneheaded plays, the fouls, and then him not being aggressive enough, three shot attempts in a three-quarter stretch in game four. You can't have that happen. If you want to be... I think he's still bucking the notion that I'm not a number two. I can be a number one. Well, go play like one. Go play like one in the games that matter. And for Jason Tatum, 36 and 10 is nothing to scoff at. But if you're only getting contributions in one place, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Al Horford remained in the starting lineup for 25 minutes and went 0 for 7 from 3. So (laughs) there's a big goose egg in the stat sheet next to his name. Those contributions cannot continue at this clip if this team wants to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they're a more talented team, top to bottom, than Philadelphia. But they're getting outplayed by Philadelphia right now, and they did in Game 5 on Tuesday night. We've got two more Game 5s coming your way tonight. Identical 3-1 series leads for the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. Those two series definitely don't feel the same, but we're going to break down what's at stake for the Lakers. Warriors, Knicks, and Heat. Plus, we are one day away from the NFL's schedule released. A couple games, the international slate, has already been released along with Black Friday, New Year's Eve, and a handful of others. We're going to get into all of that and more coming up on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. But first, Jordan has this word from Indeed. That's right, Courtney. If you're gearing up for hot summer hires, then stop making candidate cold calls and hire with Indeed. Their powerful all-in-one hiring platform makes it easy to attract interview and hire candidates all in one place. With tools like Instant March, the moment you sponsor a post, you'll instantly receive a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. You can then invite them to apply, schedule, and conduct interviews all from the Indeed website. To learn more, visit Indeed.com slash credit. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. NFL schedule release just over 24 hours away. Where is your team going to be opening the season? Where will they be closing the season? Those answers coming our way on Thursday. Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Jordan Cornette, pleased to welcome in Jeff Darlington. Big schedule release guy, ESPN NFL reporter, joining us here on the CC call-in line. And I'll just start with this, Jeff. Why does the NFL hate the Jaguars so much that they have to put a team that's 22nd in attendance last year? Like They're not like the worst team that has no fans show up. They won a playoff game why are they in london twice that's a great well first of all we know that that that's the team that the nfl sort of pinned early as their like guinea pig for all things london and shad khan i think the jaguars owner saw it as an opportunity to maybe market the team uh, overseas as well in addition to obviously what is generally a pretty small market in jacksonville despite it being a huge landmass so I get it from the perspective of early on, it made sense. Maybe when, when it felt like this, you know, expansion was a real thing, but I just feel like every year, as much as it's like a nice thing to go over there. And actually, I mean, I've done that trip a few times. It's a cool experience. It still doesn't feel any closer right now to a point where we're going to have like a full-time team there, or even like the Jaguars playing eight games. It's just not logistically feasible so to your question, I, I honestly, I'm still surprised that they have to do this now twice a year instead of just once. All right, Jeff, let's stay on the complain train here. As a, uh, a very loud Bengals fan, one of the few at the network, although now everybody positive on my Bengals. You love to see it <laughs> at the last few seasons. But it comes out, the New Year's Eve uh, matchup in the afternoon is an AFC championship game rematch of my Bengals heading to Kansas City in uh, – Burrowhead Stadium for those listening. Um, what is up with this? I, I'm kind of annoyed by this, Jeff, for a myriad of reasons. It seems like a missed opportunity to maybe kickstart the season with one of the best rivalries and two of the biggest names in the sport. But then also, by then, these teams may have cl- will have certainly clinched. Maybe it's for a one seed, but then you're playing again a few weeks later. It just feels like the game could be flat by then. That's a it's a pretty good gamble. You're right for a game that would be electric no matter when it was. Um, you know, I understand the idea of trying to market a holiday 
and and get mm-hmm. some some good eyes. But you're right, there is a gamble. Uh, there's absolutely some risk involved by putting out a time where if you're not playing for the one seed, and yeah, sure, if if you are playing for the one seed, I guess that's somewhat of a dream scenario because those games that late in the season can often be irrelevant. But if you are, uh, if either team has it locked up, you're right. That's a game that week 10, week 15, shoot, even, uh, I mean, I guess week one, we'll, we'll probably see the Chiefs for that Thursday night game. Sure, but you're right, sure, that, sure. that would have been a good one. Just to build up, I, I'm just I, thinking uh, rivalry. I have nothing but uh, I have nothing but agreement for both of your. Uh, we're your we're approaching this, Jeff, like you've made this schedule, and we want answers. That's, <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm a master. I've been married for ten years. I'm a master of this. We can just keep doing this. ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlington joins us here on Canty and Carlin. This is the first year that we have a Black Friday game, and that was released in addition to the international schedule, which is Falcons, Jaguars, Jaguars, Bills, Ravens, Titans, Dolphins, Chiefs, and and Colts, Patriots, London, and then Tottenham, and then Frankfurt. I know that the NFL is going for world domination here. They took the Christmas Day (laughs) slate from the NBA. But now to take Black Friday from the mediocre (laughs) slate of college games that we always look forward to, like whose idea was this? And, I mean, what is next? If it's not Black Friday, is it going to be – what could they possibly want more of? Well, when you give your rights to Amazon, who is also trying to overtake Black Friday, right, like with Cyber Monday and, you know – uh, it becomes more than just about NFL games. It, I, it is funny. Like, it's also interesting that all of these games, like the holiday games and the international schedule, are all released today, and then like the normal schedule is released tomorrow. And it's almost like let's get all of your complaints <laughs> complaints <laughs> today. But I, you know, the other interesting thing about it is like I'm curious. I know the NFL is dominant. I love the NFL. My livelihood is based on the NFL. But I am curious to see like as we have more international games than ever, as we have more holiday games, if we're calling Black Friday a holiday, um, uh, and technically, again, I mean, like most people are off from work, are people going to want to travel to those games? Like, are people going to want to say, yeah, I'll take my holiday, whether it's New Year's Eve, Christmas Day, there's three games on Christmas Day, um, Black Friday, Thanksgiving. Are, are fans going to, are those games still going to be sellouts? Maybe they will be, but I will be curious if when, You've got, you know, groups of people saying, all right, these are the games that we're going to kind of corner to to go travel to or to attend with our families. If they are looking at those kind of games or if instead they'd rather say, yeah, I'll go to that week six Jets-Dolphins game that's totally normal and not in another country. Jeff, as you you look at scheduling, I mean, obviously everybody has their own interests as we enter tomorrow and the schedules are released with the breadcrumbs we've had already today. Um, Obviously, as a Bengals fan, I look at my schedule, I adjust my teams and and what, what it looks like in their pathway to the playoffs. But in your position, yeah. as you approach tomorrow, is there anything that the, the casual fan should maybe be on red alert for as we enter tomorrow other than just who their team is playing? Any any different thing that may stand out of critical importance to you tomorrow? I, so I actually will counter it with a warning instead. Like strength of schedule to me is the scariest thing for a team to look at and get some kind of false optimism. Uh, I just think that the parity in the NFL is such that to suggest that this year is going to be the same as the last in terms of the dominant teams. Uh, you know, maybe your top three or four teams you can look at and say, yeah, we know the Chiefs and the Eagles are going to be really good teams this year. But when, when it comes to 
you know, say you think you have an easy strength of schedule and then you dig in deeper and you're like, oh, well, you know, the Broncos seemingly will be better this year because they were so bad last year. That might skew it a little bit. There's just, there's so much parity in the league that, um, which is awesome. It's what makes it great. But I mean, when we try to get too excited about this in May, on May 10th, May 11th, uh, that's when I think you start to, to get a little bit ahead of yourselves in terms of the success or failures of a team. We will soon find out who has the most primetime games. Did I just totally, by the way, did I ruin the NFL's big moment right then? Like, <laughs> I don't, don't care. No, I, th- I think we're all with you because, it, yeah, we do try to find out who has the most primetime games, which stretches could define right. yeah, a season for each team. But this whole idea that the NFL has like three weeks where things are kind of quiet before OTAs <laughs> fully ramp up and they can't just have the quiet. They have to like inject a primetime special into the coverage of this sport. I could do without it. I like the quiet time, but yeah. the NFL certainly does it. It's a moneymaker for them. And soon we'll be finding out which games will make the most money and have the most intrigue surrounding them during the 2023 right. season. No doubt. Jeff, appreciate no the doubt. time. Thanks so much as always. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. That's ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlington joining Courtney Cronin and Jordan Cornette here on Canty and Carlin. Straight ahead, we switch gears into college sports, the damning NCAA gambling scandal that might be the tip of the iceberg. Talking with an expert, breaking it all down next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. 
And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. This is Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Guys are out today. You've got Courtney Cronin and Jordan Cornette, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. So about a week after Alabama baseball coach Brad Bohannon was fired after he was linked to suspicious betting action dealing with the Crimson Tide baseball team. About 40-plus student athletes at Iowa and Iowa State are being investigated for possible sports betting that brought on more questions than it did answers. Fortunately, David Purdom, who covers all things chalk and sports betting for us here at ESPN, is with us on the CC call in line to break it all down. And I want to start big picture, David, because there's a lot of this all at once. Three big-time Power 5 universities being investigated when it comes to sports gambling in an illegal format because we know the NCAA has a zero-tolerance policy between the lines of gambling. What are the biggest differences between the Iowa and Iowa State situation and the Alabama situation? Great question, and there are some significant differences. The Iowa and Iowa State are focused on the student-athletes um, allegedly, or, or, or some form of betting was going on. And that's against NCAA policy. Uh, there were some criminal, uh, looking into some criminal type el- elements of that, but that could be mean anything from underage people trying to bet or anything like that. The difference, big difference is there that the gaming regulators didn't stop betting on Iowa State or Iowa. They didn't tell the sportsbooks, hey, don't take any more bets on those games. They allowed betting to get going, keep going, which means, indicates at least, that there was no you know, suspicion of uh, anything untoward going on, any allegations of any kind of game manipulation or anything like that. Alabama is a different story. When that story first came out, first thing regulators did was stop betting, say, hey, sportsbooks, do not take any more bets on anything about evolving Alabama baseball. Something's going on here. We need to investigate further. So that is the two big. That is the biggest difference right there. David, as widespread as it feels like inevitably this could become, these types of issues, uh, those in the industry might say, "Hey, this is a prime example of the system working, being able to sniff out these kind of issues." Uh, how would you respond to that? No, I, I agree with that. There, there's a positive and negative to this. The positive is that with regulation comes more eyes watching for this. So if somebody is trying to do something nefarious in the sports betting market, and in any market where there's a lot of money in it, there's always going to be bad actors trying to do something, get around it. But now that we have more eyes on this, we're able to spot it. If something was done untoward in the offshore sports book world or the local bookmaking world, we would not be able to see it. Now, the con of this is it's a lot more available, right? It's a lot easier to place a bet than it ever has been right now. 33 states have legal betting markets. Most of them offer some sort of online betting. And so there is more opportunity. But if you 
are willing to try to go around the rules, try to pull something off, there's a good chance that you're going to be caught. David, there's a belief out there that that, that these incidences that we saw at Iowa State, Iowa, Alabama seems like it's a completely in, in its own realm because you have a coach betting against his own team because he had inside information. But when it comes to like average people like myself, Jordan, you, just people who have a phone and have DraftKings, might have a number of other sports, book that, sports books that we have access to, and thinking that the student athletes at universities across the United States do as well, this gambling situation feels like it's the tip of the iceberg, that these three universities, and particularly Iowa and Iowa State, might be the beginning of hearing many more instances of this involving student-athletes who might not be betting on their own teams and own sports, but fantasy football and having pools that have you know, our pay-for-play. Like, Do you view it the same way, that this might be the very beginning that would lead the NCAA to potentially change its stance on betting? I don't know if it's going to change its stance, but I do agree that this is probably the only beginning. Uh, anybody that's ever attended university probably knew that there was a campus bookmaker. Uh, kids were betting at a young age. It's been part of the American culture before legalization. People were betting, and now after legalization when people are still betting. Uh, there's an academic theory that I, I really think comes into play here. It's called the adaption theory, and it suggests that any time an illicit activity such as sports betting is brought into a regulated, regulated environment, that society takes a little bit to adjust to it, figure out what they can do and what they can't do. And I think we're kind of in that period right now where we've seen this massive expansion of sports betting. People are kind of trying to get used to it and seeing what you can and can't do. And hopefully the, the theory is that eventually society gets used to it and, and these issues will, will curtail a little bit. David, my last question I got for you is just the education of the athletes here. I mean, you've had Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, say at the CFP meetings, uh, said before the Alabama controversy broke, this well before it, he said we have to be more and more intentional about education, clarity of cautions, and being sophisticated in our monitoring. What would that education look like to student-athletes? Do they now ramp that kind of thing up? I remember when I played back in 2005, there was a little talk about it just because of the BC scandal and some of those other things that had happened then, but it's clearly more prevalent now. Yeah, there is thorough investigation in the professional leagues and at the collegiate level. Um, You know, you have to be pretty – you have to be not paying attention to uh, be oblivious to the education and the rules about it. Um, There's some nuances in, for example, the NFL gambling policy where players are allowed to bet on anything except for the NFL, but they're not allowed to place those bets at a team facility or or while traveling with the team. So there are some nuanced little things there. NCA is pretty much, you know, across the board. You're not allowed to bet. If you're a student athlete, you're a coach, you're anything, you're not allowed to play fantasy sports, you're not allowed to bet. And that is drilled into kids and students uh, from the time they step on campus. So uh, it, it continues, but uh, people are going to get caught. And hopefully, like I said, uh, that they kind of get adjusted to this and realize that there's a big punishment, uh, big deterrence. Don't bet on it. One of the prime campaigns from the NCAA, that one has not changed since the uh, since since the beginning of time, more or less. David Purdom, appreciate the time. ESPN Sports betting reporter joining us here on Canty and Carlin. Coming up next, Lakers-Warriors, Game 6. 
Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.